Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sports Fixins Podcast. I am Michael Dion. Alongside me, as always, is Mr. Justin Minkley. And Justin, first of all, I'm going to start this the way I've started everything. Uh, well, actually, I, I will say this before we start. You may notice my mic quality is a little bit worse. That is because I need a new USB cord for my USB mic because, sadly, I don't remember who it was, but somebody in my apartment tripped over my cable and my microphone hit the floor and the little USB piece bent. And it's just been falling out constantly, which is sad. Uh, But anyway, so headset mic today, probably not going to sound as good. So I do apologize about that. But anyway, now I'm going to do what I always do. Mr. Minkley, how are you? I'm pretty well, Mike. I'm having a wonderful week on my end. Been getting a lot of stuff done. I'm writing, trying to make some other things happen. So I'm feeling pretty good. Now, what have you been writing, Mr. Minkley? Well, of course, I'm finishing up on one of the NHL articles, obviously, about uh, the Central Division picks we talked about last week. It's still early in the season, so I can at least squeeze one in. And the conference championship games I'll be working on today and tomorrow. All righty. And speaking of those conference championship games, we'll talk about those a little bit later on in the program. Um, but for now, uh, we've got NHL and NBA content for you today on this edition of the Sports Fixins podcast. Uh, no Minkley this week. Um, basically, it didn't. I didn't see anything from him that he was available. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that uh, he wasn't available this week. Uh, you know, he is the play-by-play man for the WI- the Western Illinois University women's basketball team. So a busy, busy man. So. I would assume that they would be on the road, um, or he's just busy with <laughs> catching up with school. Um, and I would greatly encourage all of you to go check out uh, R.J. Larson on um, it, it, check out his play-by-play work. And I forget where it is; it's through some new streaming service. But if you go to Western Illinois University Women's Basketball on um, Twitter, you can see where to watch that. And actually, Makely, it's probably something we ought to do on the Sports Fictions. Facebook is put up where you can hear RJ when he when he puts it out. I no, I, I feel I like that's a that. great idea. I've never thought of that until like literally this second. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's make it happen. So anyway, so that's where RJ is this week. Um, Minkley, uh, you and I are here, and we are going to start first in the association. The NBA is still going. They're another week now. The Clippers and Lakers tied atop the West. The Utah Jazz are still in third. In the East, it's Philadelphia and Milwaukee. But last night, I think the big story is, we talked about last week about the Brooklyn trade. Oh, hey, by the way, um, when we're recording this, and I I will probably upload this because I have a bunch of stuff to do on the internet today. Um, So I'll just do that in the background. I'll just upload this in the background. Tonight is Lakers Bucks, and I'm definite and I'm off. Tomorrow, it's my weekend. Thursday and Friday is my work weekend. So I don't have to go to bed at like 8 o'clock. So I'm definitely going to have Lakers Bucks on tonight. That will absolutely be... um, Fubo TV doesn't have TNT, which is really stupid. I've realized that. Um, But uh, hopefully I can log in through my folks' Xfinity or something. 
and use the on-the-go feature and get it somehow onto the television because I'd hate to just watch it on my laptop. Yeah, Mike, we got only three basketball games tonight, but I'm interested in seeing, number one, how do the Warriors come off of a very, very upsetting win, off an upset win against the Lakers? How do they perform against a team like the Knicks? Knicks yeah, and I was going to gonna be, say, the yeah. other TNT game is Pelicans-Jazz. You, I, I, I'd rather see Knicks-Warriors than Pelicans-Jazz, to be honest. Yeah, I would, because we kind of know what the Jazz are going to do. Um, I'm not really impressed with the Pelicans, obviously, this season. This is kind of what we talked about. Um, but with the Lakers losing that game to the Warriors, obviously it's a division rival. How do you bounce back against a team like the Bucks? We talked about Mike Boonehoser not adjusting well. It was kind of evident in, I believe, the Nets game that they lost earlier this week. So this will be a really great game to watch how both teams can move on from a pivotal loss like that. And it's actually going to tell me more about who loses this game rather than who wins wins it. Yep. Right. Hey, by the way, you know, something uh, really interesting here, Mm. the Milwaukee bucks are three and four away from Fiserv away from their home court. They're six and one at home. The Lakers have not lost the road game yet. That is correct. I believe all four losses have come at home for the Lakers, so this will be pretty the interesting. The Lakers' record in Staples Center is 4-4. Four and four, mm-hmm. Which is not a very usual thing for a team just in general. No, it isn't. Let alone a really good one. Um... By the way, um, a lot of good games tonight. Tampa Bay Lightning and Columbus Blue Jackets play tonight on NBCSN at 6 o'clock Central. And Montreal takes on Vancouver. For anyone who doesn't know, they had a wild game last night. No one could keep the lead. It was at, went from 3-3 hey, three to 4-4. Hey, four, four, is the NHL then, doing series now? Um, remember what I said. They're basically playing each other in their division only. Oh, that's right. So, and it went to a shootout since, you know, after they got the fit, both teams got fifth goals. They can't do anything at OT. Vancouver won dramatically in a shootout. I'm expecting Jake Allen and Thatcher Demko to start tonight. Should be a really fun doubleheader on NBCSN. So, if you're able to catch any hockey in between basketball, especially right after the Lakers-Bucks game, you're going to be in for a treat. But uh, back to the NBA. Last night, we had our first experience with the three-headed monster of Durant, Irving, and Harden. And how did that go, Mike? Ooh, ooh, I apologize for the yawn. I don't know where that came from. Okay. What I thought Brooklyn would do, and I think RJ said this too, what I eventually came to the conclusion Brooklyn was going to do is Joe Harris will start at small forward, Durant will play the four, and then your starting lineup is Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan. What the Nets did was start Jermichael Green, and then it was Durant, Jordan, Green, Irving, and Harden. Um, what is What is the big problem with the trade for James Harden in many fans' eyes? Not well, about the shots, but not about the shot selection or anything like that, but the, the 
the team building fundamentals problem? Um, well, you know, to me, I was used to James Harden being the leader, you know, despite the fact that he is a shooting guard, um, in some ways he takes away some power from the point. Well, yes, that was one of my other problems is who the hell plays point guard. (laughs) Yeah. But the team building issue I'm referring to is the fact that they traded their entire bench. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that is very true. Like, I'm sorry. Jamichael Green is not playing 45. This was a two-overtime game, by the way. I do want to say that. They played the Cavs in a two-overtime game. Jamichael Green does not play 45 minutes for a winning team. Or for a championship team. Um, The Nets lost to the Cavs last night. And I, and by the way, shout out to Cleveland for being 7-7. Seven and seven Because I thought they were going to be absolutely atrocious this year. Um... The Nets had 10 bench points as a team. 10. So your starters gave you 125 points, but you literally have nothing below your starters. Now, the Cavaliers only played three bench players, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and Demian Dotson. And it's really funny because guess where the top two of those came from? Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Prince Allen and Dotson combined for uh, 44 points. Yes, 44 points. I did the math right. 44 bench points. Colin Sexton went off. He had 42 points in the Cav win. And here's the – the shots was the big thing. Here's your uh, your, uh, shot selection. Durant shot 25 field goals. He only made 12. So he had 38, but he kind of made up for it because he had four blocks, 12 rebounds, and eight assists, you know, like KD things. Uh, Kyrie Irving took 28 shots, 15 field goals, uh, was only three of eight from three, and just had three assists, one steal, and three blocks for some reason. But turned it over four times and had four fouls. So Kyrie Irving things. James Harden, who played the most minutes of anybody on Brooklyn last night, uh, Kyrie, 37 in the game, by the way, most of anybody on Brooklyn, only only 14 shots from the field. Six of 14 was what he actually did. Three of six from three, uh, he hit all six of his free throws, got 10 rebounds, 12 assists, and 21 points. But he did turn it over five times and have five fouls, so he contributed to some of the problems. But what's incredible to me there is it would appear that Harden is okay with stepping back and playing facilitator, and Kyrie isn't. At least looking at the box score for this game. Now, it is one game, but looking at this box score, and now it also should be said, the, the reason Brooklyn lost is probably because Cleveland took 40 threes and hit 20 of them. Brooklyn took 41 threes and only hit 15. And the final score was 147 to 135. So the five threes and extra miss, and then you look at the field goal numbers, and Brooklyn had two extra or Brooklyn had seven extra free throws, like the the numbers kind of match out there. It's the threes that decided the game. 
Yeah, you know, I brought up an interesting point when we had RJ on the show last week. And um, I kind of want to bring it up again. So, you know, the thing with Kyrie, if his, if he's not accepting that role, right, now we have to ask other questions. Like, KD basically um, collaborated with Kyrie to come to Brooklyn, right? And is it possible that you trade Kyrie at this point? And don't forget, something else I brought up was Harden can opt out. So... I don't, I don't really know how this is, th- this whole situation with Brooklyn is a mess. I understand you lose in double OT, you lost by a dozen points, but you lose in double OT when there was a, another point guard that Kyrie Irving was taking on, right? They both came back, and the guy that Irving had to guard scored 22. And I'm not sure, like, for Brooklyn... How do you, you mean forty two? Wait, uh, Sexton dropped forty two. Yeah. Oh, geez, that's even worse. Yeah, yeah. Colin Sexton dropped forty two on Kyrie's head. And and by the way, I do want to say Kyrie Irving played forty eight minutes and had thirty seven points. Colin Sexton only played thirty eight minutes. And the reason the Cavs got to overtime is because Colin Sexton dropped twenty in the last two quarters. Yeah, pretty the, much. The uh, overtime, and uh, I think I thought there were two OTs. Yeah. In the two OTs, he had 40 points. Or, 40 points, 20 points. Um, But here's the thing. You know, I look at the next schedule. They get two games against the Heat next. They go to Atlanta, they go to OKC, and they go to D.C. They're probably going to win two or three of those games. Oh, and they got another game with Cleveland Friday. They're probably going to win that one. And it, well, and in the meantime, whatever you're going to say basketball related, don't forget Brooklyn also has the schedule hurdle of whatever the hell is wrong with Kyrie Irving, which is yeah. its own problem. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm scratching my head wondering here at the close of the month after they went a whole week winning games, they won four straight. They beat Denver. They beat a good Knicks team that's uh, surprising a lot of people. They beat a good Magic team. I don't think people realize, like, the, Ma- the Orlando Magic are suffering with injuries, but they're still pretty good, and they only beat they're them fine. by And they beat Milwaukee by two. So, which I think anyone would want to do against the Milwaukee Bucks. But this team seems very inconsistent to me. I don't know who or what I'm going to get any given night. And what you said, Mike, the, the bench and the depth issue is going to rear over their heads for the rest of the season. Yeah. And the, like, like that was, I feel like this was an example of that, you know, of it rearing its ugly head. Yeah. But, you know what? Well, we we will see. We will see what uh, what goes on. Um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that that you will have like a really big problem here, but I'm also not entirely sure that you will do really good here. So. 
we'll see. So, anyway, uh, through my yawns, and again, I don't know why I'm yawning, it's just one of the things I do. Um, through my yawns, uh, the Chicago Bulls have been a little bit better as of late, and I would like to uh, discuss that. Chicago on the year is now 6-8, and eight, fourth in the Central. They had that big skid, but then did some rebounding uh, with a win over a good Mavericks team and a good Rockets team. Or, well, Very true. Steve Silas Rockets is a decent a, Rockets team. Steve Silas is actually a better head coach than people give him credit for. And I do like the fact that, you know, Luca had a triple double against the Bulls, but I would rather take the win if I'm the Bulls here. Um, what we're seeing from the Bulls is kind of what we expected a little bit early on. They're going to have a losing record, but they're going to look much better than last year. I think the only surprise to me is. The Cleveland Cavaliers are actually the better team in the Central. We knew Indiana and Milwaukee, obviously, were going to be better. But the Bulls, of all the teams um, that that don't have a winning record in the Central, they they have a point differential of negative 2.6, which is lower than both Cleveland and Detroit. Well, I mean, you also didn't know that Cleveland was going to get Torian Prince and Jared Allen for free for no damn reason. Yeah, that part, too. Uh, I want to look at this Dallas game because I find this interesting in particular. So the Bulls beat Dallas 117-101. Zach Levine only had 10 points in this game. Kobe White only Kobe White had zero. Yeah. Patrick Williams had five. Wendell Carter had 12. It was Laurie Markinen who had 29 and 10. But the bench was huge in that game. Thad Young, 15, Otto Porter Jr., 14, and Garrett Temple, 21. The bench was a region the Bulls beat Dallas. And that's the thing with the Bulls team where I feel like they can be good is, look, Chicago's not a great squad, but they have enough good players to where you can, like, get dudes to score buckets. Um, And if they can have one dude who can get buckets and get bench points, they can make the playoffs because I think they can beat everybody. I think the Bulls can beat everybody worse than them. Like once once we if they can get like 500 to the middle part of the season or just below 500 when like they can kind of start working the kinks in and out of Donovan's stuff because it's going to be a lot different than Boylan's. Or they can figure out the pick-and-roll defense because that's kind of what's been killing them. And they can kind of figure some stuff out just because they don't really get practices. They didn't really get an offseason. Like, once they can figure stuff out with the new coach and maybe they make a roster move, I don't know. But I think they can make the playoffs even with this young team. And they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. But the Dallas game, I mean, look. Luka, 36-16-15. Zach Levine had 10 points, but you still won the game. Yeah. Yo. That is partially because that Dallas second unit was so awful. Trey Burke played 29 minutes and had a plus minus of minus 23. And they shot, well, both teams shot horribly from three-point land, let's be honest. But the Bulls won kind of a, for for what is now in the NBA lower scoring game. The Mavericks to 101. So it's like, okay, so, like, that was a good win, especially you'd lost the Thunder, you'd lost, like, everybody (laughs) right in a row. Um, And then I think, was it, uh, the Boston game got postponed due to COVID. Like, things were not going the Bulls' way. And then they beat the Mavericks, 
which was a good thing to see. And then I think this was Tuesday. Uh, the Bulls beat Oladipo and the Rockets, and they beat them 125 to 120. Zach Levine woke up from his one-game slumber and had 33. Every, all the other starters had at least 10 points. Thad Young and Denzel Valentine each had 10 as well. I had 10 plus as well. And the Rockets got 30 from Christian Wood and 30 from Victor Oladipo, 20 from Eric Gordon, but still lost the game. So it kind of shows you one of the problems with the Bulls is that, you know, you've got Christian Wood and Victor Oladipo scoring 30 points because you don't have good defense in your starting lineup. But if you look at this, like uh, Markinen, Wendell, uh, Temple, and Levine is marked as starters. I'm forgetting who the odd one out there is who missed. Oh, oh, Williams missed that game. Um, So no Williams, but like that was your starting lineup. You're starting and Garrett Temple, to be fair, was one of the reasons they won the game the night before. The plus minus for the starters was negative six, negative four, negative one, negative three. And Kobe White had a plus two when he was on the floor. Plus minus, by the way, is. Uh, how good your team does when you are on the floor. The Rockets, uh, starters, a plus 7, plus 15, plus 6, plus 3, and plus 1. Although Nawaba didn't play half the game. He's the plus 1. Um, but go, but look at the bench, okay? Now, DeMarcus Cousins literally didn't make a shot the whole game. Like, he only hit two free throws. He did not make a field goal. But this is the Rockets' bench. Minus 12, minus 17, minus 12, and minus 16. And this is the Bulls pen bench. Plus 15, plus 5, plus 10, and plus 14. And yes, hmm. there's a dude who played for the Bulls who had a minus 7, but he also played two minutes at the end of the game. Um, so that tells me one thing clear is the Bulls are, are beating beating you with their bench. And if Patrick Williams comes back, you would have had Garrett Temple's 13 points off the bench. And the plus-minus difference would have been even greater, and they probably would have won by a little more. So the Bulls are not bad. And the thing that the Bulls are going to have that's going to be interesting, you know, the thing that the Bulls are going to have over those teams that are around their level is going to be the bench. Because if you look at the way the NBA is moving – the NBA is moving to a superstar or bust system, but uh, which leaves room for a solid team like the Bulls to get into a postseason. Just from beating teams below them, because, like, let's look at Houston. Houston has Victor Oladipo and Christian Wood, but no, you know, but really nothing else because they're trading and like rebuilding and doing that stuff. Like, you've got either, you're either rebuilding rising or have one good player or you're you know you're a super team and the bulls are in the good team category but the thing is they have a bunch of good players like like the bulls roster i'll go back to the dallas game because well i don't even really need to because i don't know what patrick williams is if you look at laurie market in this year Markinen is up to 19 a game, which is, I believe, about what he had his second year. Markin is up to 19 and 70 game. And remember that that second season, third season, whatever, that first boiling year, you 
Markkinen was expected to take the jump to the Crips to the New York Kristaps, where it was like 20 and 10. So Markkinen is not that far from 20 and 10. He's just got to be a little bit more physical down low. Wendell Carter has had a bunch of defensive problems, but I, I am confident that Billy Donovan and that coaching staff can help him now that they have a real coaching staff. I think Kobe White's an, I, I think Wendell is good. I think Kobe White is an exciting young player. Very young, obviously. He's like 20, I believe. Garrett Temple is a veteran, but there is nothing wrong with Garrett Temple. You you need to ask him to shoot some threes and play like kind of some defense. Like there's nothing wrong with Garrett Temple for what he's, you know, for what he's worth. Zach Levine is a fantastic scorer. If he's could ever play defense, he'd be a really good player. There's nothing wrong with Fad Young. Fad Young's a good NBA player. I like Danny Gafford. I think Danny Gafford's a, a true center who's good at it. Not great at it, but good at it. Ryan Archie Diacono has been a above serviceable backup point guard for a few years. Now Denzel Valentine is complete garbage, and we will wind up seeing what exactly Patrick Williams is. Right now I'd say he's a decent player, but and then you look at the Rockets thing, it's like, okay, so you got five, you got four good players, Tucker, Wood, Gordon, Oladipo, Nawab is terrible. You played a guy 30 minutes in Tate, who's bad. DeMarcus Cousins is not good anymore, I don't think. He can be, but I don't think he is. I don't know who Jones is, and Ben and Ben Black, Ben is a bust who's just kind of hanging on because he's fast. Like, and, and now, granted, the Rockets are four and eight and have a worse record than the Bulls, and the Bulls probably should have won that game, which they did. But what I'm saying is, you look at the Bulls, and it's like, you know, I don't see anything wrong with the players on their roster. I don't. They're not Kevin Durant. They don't have any stars, although. I would very much argue that Levine should have more of a stardom than I, or than the uh, than the league has given him, like more of the stardom that I think of him. Like I think Zach Levine should be an All Star. If you score thirty a goddamn game, you should be an All Star. So there's nothing wrong with the Bulls, and nothing except for the defense, which. Look at Dallas can be better. If they're, if you're a good team, not a great team, not a very good team, not an excellent team. If you beat bad and horrible, you'll make the playoffs. And I think the Bulls are in the above the bad category. They're either in good or okay. Probably in okay. I think their talent is that of a good team. But right now, they're probably an okay team. And I think an okay team is an 8 or a 9. And in the East, that's worth a 7 seed because the East is absolutely terrible. Not as bad as it was. Not as bad as it was like four years ago. But it's still a terrible conference. Yeah, it is. And I think there's, you know, I I still debate some of the players you said, but Oh man. But you're but you're not wrong about a good amount of this. This is just the conference is 
I, I think the conference being as bad as it is, you know, lets them in regardless. But what does that say? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. <sighs> um, it, it's something to move on with for basketball, and you and you kind of touched on it a bit. It was about the the Bulls Celtics game being postponed. So the Celtics have had COVID issues. They're still in second place right now, a bit because of that in the the um, Atlantic Division. Mike, this is a little bit concerning. We've seen some teams uh, have to halt play a bit. The recent team being the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, they just got John Morant back within the past week. Now they have to stop playing because COVID issues are affecting at least three of the, play- three of the other players. And I want to ask you, there's no bubble this year. Um, the NBA has made it very clear that if you get sick or there's enough sick players, then your team has to halt play, and so do the teams that have to face them within the coming week. They get basically a, a, a couple days off. Um, but my thought to you is this. If you start to see more teams get sick, and I, I want to say around double-digit teams around the same time, or at least eight teams around the same time, what does the NBA do? Because I don't think, by um, the way, they were the talking easy solution about- is a bubble, and I don't know why the hell they haven't done it. Stop yeah. playing for three weeks, get everybody healthy, go to a bubble. You literally did this once. Why the hell didn't you do it again? But my question, Mike, becomes, so you have all these games timed out, right? I mean, we look at today's games, you know, maybe that isn't a big issue because, hey, there are only three games. But tomorrow, that could be, or by Friday, that's a pretty big issue because four teams aren't playing. And at least what looks like to be the rest of the league or whoever didn't play today, they play on a Friday. So where would you put all these teams if that's the case? And this is kind of something I, I don't understand why the NBA went forward the way they did. There, there's no backup contingency plan, even if there was a bubble. And this kind of concerns me this early on, knowing that you have at least three teams who have had COVID issues. Yeah, and if if you go look... And if you think, you know, hey, you know, we're having a lot of canceled games, let's go to a bubble. If you look at it, I mean, I liked bubble basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I, I really liked how everybody played during the bubble. I thought it was fun. I thought it was exciting. And maybe everybody wouldn't get some, wouldn't get the damn Rona. So I feel like it's a win-win for the NBA. Yes. So why exactly the hell they haven't done it yet? I have no idea and won't, and don't understand. I, I don't understand either. And I'm very concerned with um, what, at what point in the season is this going to be too, too much? And I'll touch on it with the NHL too. But um, I'm just really surprised that there wasn't a backup plan in place. Uh, we'll see if the bubble thing becomes a bigger thing heading into February. But, hey, it is what it is, I guess. Um, yeah, the playoffs is probably going to be a bubble. But if you don't play half your games before, then that probably doesn't help. Um, I think that's it for my NBA stuff. 
So let's roll this over in NHL then, because uh, this is kind of a similar thing. Um, so I'll brief the audience like I briefed Michael at the beginning of this. You have at least a couple of teams with COVID issues. And Mike, here's something else. The NBA actually does their COVID testing with a faster pace thing. It's supposed to have either instant or hourly results. Mm-hmm. Um, the NHL does not do that. They wait for 24 hours. So the NHL has a problem on their hands right now. Let's begin with Monday, where the Carolina Hurricanes were supposed to play the Nashville Predators. And they did play the Nashville Predators. Uh, the Canes did their testing be- uh, hours before, or at least the day, the morning of the game. And they had to wait for results. They played, I believe, Carolina beat Nashville. Um, but they have four players who are at least COVID positive right now. And because they played a game that that means the Nashville Predators may be, uh, not playing soon, which is actually hilarious if you're the Dallas Stars, because they were supposed to start play tomorrow and they play the Nashville Predators. (laughs) So the Dallas Stars have more time to rest, which actually, uh, we did playoff hits last week. Mike, RJ and I did. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of say that maybe the Dallas Stars could get into the playoffs if they keep missing games because this allows Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop to come back in. Um, but another one and a big one was this past Sunday uh, and not even noon on NBC. The Pittsburgh Penguins played the Washington Capitals. They played again, I believe, this past Tuesday. And Mike, not only did the Capitals lose, they they lost a game they shouldn't have. They led for most of it. Come back, capped off by a Sidney Crosby overtime goal. Um, not only did they lose, they absolutely did not follow COVID protocols. So they have been fined one hundred thousand dollars. And Alex Ovechkin and three other three of his teammates probably have COVID nineteen. Good job. Yeah, not what we're looking for, (laughs) but um, we have at least two or three. We have three teams already that have been bitten by the COVID bug, the Dallas Stars being the other one. That's why they've been delayed for so late. Um, But now you throw in the Washington Capitals, probably the best player in the NHL, fuck McDavid. And I'm saying that uncensoredly because Ovechkin is still the best scorer in the league. Um, And... The Carolina Hurricanes, because of the delay in the test result, this could result in other issues. Mike, the NHL didn't want to do a bubble, but at least the NHL got together, decided to split things up by region. And what do you see with this? Because obviously it's okay saying, you know, they want to do a bubble, but the NHL actually did take precautions, knowing that, some things may not be perfect. Obviously, some teams will not be infected for a good part of the season, but you already got three teams just like the NBA got infected. And the NBA has been a little more loose. And, and look, in, in my personal opinion, everything should be a bubble, but the NHL problem is going to be, I mean, look, you got you already got fan problems, and still have no fans this year, and now you're going to have people whose teams aren't even playing. I, the COVID penalty needs to be loss of games, not money. Like, 
They need to quit putting off games and just start fighting teams or giving teams losses. Like, so you think if, how if the you, NFL- if you got COVID in your team and you exposed another team because you didn't follow protocol, that you should get fined in that next game that you miss. You know, you miss, say, um, when was the game they missed? You said last night, right? Um, or they like gave they, um, they found out yesterday that they had COVID. That they broke. Yeah, they up found out yesterday. So they found out that let, uh, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Brian Orlov, and Ilya Samsonov. Right, and they had COVID when they played the Pens. Dmitry Orlov, my bad. <laughs> but uh, yes. So then, uh, when's it, is their next game tonight? Um, well, the Hurricanes were actually scheduled to play tonight against the Florida Panthers. Uh, this is another game the Florida Panthers are going to have to miss. They had to miss, I think, two or three games against the Dallas Stars to begin the season. Um, so one team at least is going to miss games tonight. Well, anyway, let's say the Caps did this violated protocol and then had a game tonight against some healthy team like Columbus. I don't know. Let's say that they had a game tonight. I think that, and, and the NBA, same thing too. Like if Celts get Rona and then play the Bulls, I think the Bulls should get the W. If the Caps get Rona and violated protocol and might have given it to the Pens, well, I think they should just have to take the loss for for the uh, for whoever they're playing next if they're going to miss it. You know, if you're the team that got Rona, somebody went to a bar or whatever. If you get Rona and miss games because of Rona, I don't think that you should screw the other team out of their game or their win or whatever. I think you should just take the lead, take the L. Yeah, I, I be- and I think that's something um, that should be considered. I think this was one of the few things the NFL did handle correctly, which was if you don't wear a damn mask, at least you're getting fined. You're going to lose draft picks, and uh, then you start talking about the forfeiture games. Yeah. I think you definitely shouldn't, you know, just find them because they cause more damage. Right. Um, so. so this puts some of the, the game perspective. Um, so obviously you have a lot of good stuff going on in the NHL. I'll kind of break it down for you this way, Mike, since, you know, hockey is kind of a very different thing among us. So apparently when we did our picks last week, um, the popular consensus was that the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to get first place in the North Division. Um, I don't know what these Canadians are on, but it's obviously not what we're taking or drinking. Uh, Montreal is in second place. They've yet to actually lose a game in regular time. So Montreal and Toronto, the two original six Canadian teams are tied for first place right now. Calgary is in third with five, and there is a three-place tie for fourth with Edmonton, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. And, of course, my favorite team, Ottawa, is in the cellar because they couldn't close the deal out against the Winnipeg Jets this past Tuesday with three. In the West, Vegas Golden Knights have yet to lose a game, Mike. They've won four straight. That's eight points. So remember, if you win a game, that's two points. If you lose an OT, that's one. And if you just lose, well, you lose. 
Minnesota Wild. They're in second at 3-1 and one with six points. Now, granted, two of their wins were in overtime, but that's pretty good for a Wild team that we both said didn't have a chance. The Blues and the Avs are both at third and four. In fact, Colorado is tied with San Jose for fourth. Anaheim and Arizona are tied at second to last with three. And Los Angeles is at the bottom with two. In the east, Philadelphia. This is a popular pick for not just division winner, but to go to the Stanley Cup this year. They are tied with the Capitals at six points piece. The New Jersey Devils are at five. That's good enough for them to be the third Right now, the Islanders and the Penguins are tied at fourth with hilariously four points. Boston has three, and the Rangers and Sabres are tied at last with two points. And, Mike, here's uh, where the Blackhawks stand. Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Nashville are all... Oh, actually, we have a five-way tie for first with Florida and Detroit. Uh, Because of COVID wrecking this division... (laughs) There have been a maximum of four games played by three teams. And the five teams tie for four points in the lead. Columbus has three, so they're in third to last. The Blackhawks have played four games, Mike. They've tallied only one point. That is worse in that is the worst in the NHL right now. The only point they got was an overtime loss against the Panthers. And hilariously, I would say the Dallas Stars are at last with zero points, but they haven't even played a game. Oh, poor Dallas. Dallas is at flat donuts for everything because they can't stay healthy. So, yeah, that's where we stand in the NHL. Uh, The Blackhawks, though, look. I know the Blackhawks are going to be asked. They're not going to be the worst team in the NHL this year, in my opinion. But what the hell was the NHL thinking? Yeah, let's all play Tampa Bay and Florida to start the year. <laughs> like, you're just asking for them to get their brains beaten. The Hawks are not very good, man. No, no, here's the thing. I don't know if the Hawks suck. Or if they're actually in the middle of the pack because of who they've played. That's true, too. Like, you open up against the, the very deep roster of the defending Stanley Cup champions. You know Nikita Kucherov isn't going to be playing. Stamkos is back, though, so, hey, that balances things out. But your netminders are Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban. I want to see more of Malcolm Subban. Colin Delia has been slapped around. But they had a third stringer in their last game against the Panthers who had no business starting. And I know Sergei Bobrovsky, if he, ke- if he keeps below a 2.99 average, the Panthers have a shot. But their offense is among the best in the league, Mike. And the league just decided, screw it. We're going to give the Blackhawks Tampa Bay and this high-octane Panther offense to start. And let's see how they are after four or five games. Well, the, Mike, they've gotten an overtime loss for their only point of the season. Do you know that the league-worst Detroit Red Wings last year had 37 points before the break, which, by the way, is merciful because we didn't have to watch the Red Wings play the rest of the season. They've already gotten four points. (laughs) They're tied for first with the Stanley Cup champions, 
the aforementioned Panthers, the Predators, and the Hurricanes. And I want someone to explain to me, I really hope the division doesn't look like this for much of the year, but what the hell was the NHL doing with, with that whole schedule thing? That, that is just mind-boggling. I uh, look. I, I think in I think again, I'll compare the fact to the NBA. The NBA's got this problem too. The NHL's got this problem. Everybody's got this problem. And I think that you need to have a serious look in the mirror because look, I mean, how many NHL teams are missing games? Like, you know, say tomorrow, like in the next few days, how many teams are missing games? Because I'm wondering at what point do you just like slam the button and say, okay, we're stopping the league for two weeks? That is a really good question because remember what we talked about um, before where Gary Bettman had said it would be financially better to not have a season. And so one must wonder, when does the NHL say stop? Yeah, and, and from what I've seen, uh, heading into Sunday, only two teams will miss. Those are both the Panthers and the Hurricanes because they play tonight and they also play Saturday. So you only have two teams bailing out right now. I would say, unless something happens with the Nashville Predators, and what looks like from what I'm seeing is the Predators don't have a COVID issue, so it looks like the Dallas Stars may actually play by both Friday and Sunday. Um, there is a possibility that maybe we don't stop play until middle or end of February. And I think that's kind of important because the, the, the point totals from what I've read so far, um, that is going to take into consideration, obviously, you know, where, who has the most points by then. And the team with the most points right now would be the Vegas Golden Knights. They haven't lost a game. They've won four straight. Um, but it all, and remember, this is how the NHL at worst would say who gets the Stanley Cup out of everything. So last year, uh, for example, when we were wondering, is there going to be a bubble or are they just going to cancel the entire season like the Bruins and the Blues thought, the popular consensus is in an emergency situation, the team with the most points gets the Stanley Cup for that year. That would be the Vegas Golden Knights. And last year would have been the Boston Bruins since they were the only team to notch 100 points. And I'm wondering if you have more teams. Let's say you have at least six more teams that wind up getting onto the COVID list um, because of the NHL's financial issues by middle February. Then we could be either seeing a bubble or the NHL could say, you know what, we've lost enough money. Only three teams were able to have fans throughout the course of the season. Let's just pull the plug. Yeah. You could see something like that. And and that would and remember, Mike. I don't think what we also consider is if you pull a plug on a season. You see, this is why it's actually more important to pull the plug before the season, because then you have to deal with free agency issues. And what are we looking at heading into the NFL offseason? And you also have to deal with what the hell are you paying anyone? Yeah, exactly. You know what are you? You know some of these teams have major deficits, especially down south, mm-hmm. like the Panthers and the Coyotes, where. With what money are you going to pay them? Um, the NFL, though, is going to really experience this in the offseason, and that is when you are talking about players who are you know, heading into contract years or free agency or trades, 
how is that going to affect the salary cap? And and two teams so far that may have issues that I've seen within the past 24 hours are both the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys. Remember, Dak Prescott's the biggest name heading into free agency because of the status he has. And this is it, the salary cap is going to go down the NFL. If it's going down the NFL, that means it's going down in the NBA and the NHL. So um, the, there are going to be a lot of questions and lots of pieces to put together if the season gets pulled out from under the rug. Do you wind up paying everyone for the rest of the year? Do you say, you know what, we're going to give everyone a mulligan for next year? What do you do? I don't know. It's uh, it's going to be, like I keep saying this, it's just, it's going to be interesting to me. I'm been, I've been surprised the NFL made it through a year. And I will continue to be surprised if the NHL and NBA make it through their year. I will be too. Because from from everything that we've been able to see so far, you know, I, I think the NBA and the NHL are on the same crash course, even though it's a different number of teams. Um, but one has to wonder, you know, even with the bubble thing that I stated earlier, how are some of these teams going to have a multiplayer bubble or multi-game or multi-franchise bubble. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how that's going to go in some cases. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Mike, by the way, the Blackhawks, if you want an extra laugh, the Blackhawks have are the only team in the NHL to have a plus or minus double-digit goal difference. They're at minus 11. Um. Yeah. Yes? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That O was at something completely different. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was looking at something else. I apologize. They've given up the second most goals since the regular season began. That honor, uh, the top honor goes to the Vancouver Canucks. Who well, I... you also don't have a goaltender. Yeah, but the Canucks do. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm talking, about the, talking about the Hawks. Yeah, they don't. And <sighs> like I was I was watching um, I had the light the they played the lightning a few days ago, right? Yeah, because I had the lightning game on. And the first period, it was like 1-1, and, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, Colin Diaz is doing pretty well in goal tonight. And he immediately, in the second period, got got his head dumped on for like three goals, and they were like, well, that didn't last long. Um, This is kind of mean. Is it more fun to listen to Pat Foley when that team sucks? (laughs) Because, I mean, look, I love Pat Foley, but he might even be better when they're terrible. Yeah, angry and and Pat Foley when they're losing is hilarious. I know this team has given up at at the absolute perfect average of five goals a game, um, which is really saying something considering. I don't think Vancouver has even done that. Um, but, but this is just amazing. Like I, I, I've had to stress enough that 
people should not be this upset that uh, they're losing like Oh, oh, the losing. Okay. Yeah, the, the fact that they're just getting shredded by two of the best offensively talented teams in the league, you know, that, that to me, that, that doesn't say much for what we've seen from this team. Well, they're now, just they're get- ass-massive. Now, now, if they're getting shredded by Columbus, Nashville, and Detroit, then I, I'd say... Somebody who's actually bad. Yeah, well, they're not... Well, Detroit's, they're not bad, but... Well, Detroit's bad. Detroit's bad, yes. But Columbus and Nashville are more known for their defense. And I think what's, what's really appalling to me is, um, until the second Florida Panthers game, that the Blackhawks had not scored an even-strength goal. All their goals were being scored on the power play. And it's a very dangerous game to live by because you will have droughts during the year. That's why if you ever look at power play efficiency or how they do, they're usually um, between the 15 to 25% mark because you get numerous droughts during the course of the season. Now, if that's all of the offense you're getting, that's a bad recipe for what you may get for the rest of the season. But the fact that they were able to get some even strength when Sergei Bobrovsky came back in his first game, and that's how they wound up getting it. Um, but if they if they can if defensively they look bad against both Columbus and Nashville, then I think it's time the red flag comes out and says, okay, what do we need to do differently? Because I like Columbus. I I have both the Blue Jackets and the Predators getting into the playoffs, but that's mostly because of their defense. And they do have a layered defense. Um, I think, though, Chicago should be able to snatch a couple games from both. But I don't know. I, I really don't. If, if, that, if they look terrible and give up, what, four or five goals to both the Jackets and the Preds uh, early on. So, and they look bad against Dallas, too. I mean, Dallas is going to have a guy who's not even six foot net. So, I like Hudobin. I do. But I don't know how, if the Blackhawks look this bad for the rest of the season outside of the state of Florida, um, this is going to be a long season. So, I think that's it for the NHL, right? That, that all for you, from you, Minkley? Yeah, that, that's about it for me. So we got one more thing left to do. Bum, bum, ah, bum, yeah. bum, 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 bum. Championship weekend. Yeah, in there's the, a lot with NFL talk. In the um, National Foosball League. We will get... Oh, and um, uh, Nick Serrani has just been hired as the head coach of the Eagles. He's the Colts offensive coordinator. Um, just broke out. Yes, that is 15 minutes ago as we're recording this. Um... So we will uh, get to the championship games later, but we have some off-field stuff to talk about. Um, Dwayne Haskins has a contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ah, did he actually get offered the contract? Uh, It's a source. uh, Quarterback Haskins agrees with Steelers. So it sounds like that might be a thing. Um, Sad to say the uh, passing of Ted Thompson, the former Packer GM, Ted Thompson has passed away. And uh, we've got some interesting Drew Brees stuff. Uh, it turns out Drew Brees played really hurt. 
really hurt a lot of the year. Yeah, I I think his wife's name is Brenda. I can't be for sure on that, but was Brianna. Uh, Brianna. Brianna Breeze uh, put out that he had a torn rotator cuff. Was it a torn or damaged plantar fascia? fascia? Uh, torn. Torn. And as well as the ribs injury, where we know it was almost a dozen ribs that were broken. Brittany Breeze. Brittany Breeze. Okay. Well, it's taken us three tries to figure it was, out. This. It was something with a B and an R and an I. <laughs> We're terrible. Um, yeah, so here's the thing. Like, we know the league has gone after the Saints before, but how hard do you think the league's going to go after them on this? That's multiple injuries that they hit all season or didn't know about. So, yeah, I just I don't know how you play. Like I just I I don't know how you play with that many injuries, Minkley. Especially when you already have the money he has. I mean, we broke down. You don't need the money. Yeah, you don't. I mean, we broke down the twelve wins that the Saints had. Three of them they got from Taysom Hill, but. A lot of them they had from the defense or Alvin Kamara really running the ball. And now this makes a lot of sense as to why the Saints with Breeze really couldn't throw the ball well downfield 20 plus yards. And it, there was a similar situation where Matt Stafford hit an injury from the Lions and the Lions got fined from that, from the league. And the question has to be now, um, does the league go after the Saints full bear because, you know, that's the very valuable position quarterback is. And do they lay the law down with them? What, uh, what would you call laying down the law? Uh, you know, do you take draft picks away? Do you suspend the coaches again? Um, do, you, do you actually... Can you, though? I mean, the the thing is, if they were able to do that to Matt Stafford for one or two games, we're talking about a whole season where this actually influences who does what in the playoffs and why Tampa Bay advanced, then I think it's safe to say that maybe something will happen. And the fact that no one knew until Breeze's wife said anything. Hmm. We're going, we are going off of the fact that the coaches didn't know. But, that, but that's part of why, you know, the, the whole thing with Matthew Stafford really stands out. Stafford himself hid those injuries. The coaches didn't know. The team still got fined. I guess you got to do something then. It'll be interesting right? to see what they decide is the Saints' punishment on this. What do you what do you think it should be? I mean to me it's if the coaches don't know or the organization doesn't know you shouldn't but if we're going off of what happened with Stafford then I guess you got to find him and maybe take some late round picks away because that's a whole season. 
but does uh, I mean I know you want to punish the team but does taking away somebody shot at the NFL do anything like does like what is like what does that do if you want to say the Saints mismanaged Breeze's health, which I'm okay with. But if you want to say that, then, you know, what's the, not what's the point, but what's, you know, what's the deal with why is it the guy's fault who they might draft? Because, um, you punish them too, in a way. I feel. So maybe you just give the draft pick to someone else, though. I suppose, yes. Okay, I, that I can go with. Maybe um, somebody you find a way to get a compensatory pick. I don't know, but then how the hell do you determine that? Um, maybe by some of the teams they beat. Without it going over by the hindered. Well, okay. Well, then how are you gonna? How are you going to determine who gets it? Well, first off, let's go by teams who went to playoffs. So that would be the Bears who get a compensatory pick. And probably um, a team that the Saints meet. So I would probably say the Panthers would be the other one. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like that'll just get gray. Uh, it, it'll get gray, and that's for the league to determine. Yeah. But we're talking about what we would do here. And compensatory picks awarded to the Bears. Um, I, I would have the Panthers or the Lions thrown in there. Um, but y- if you're the league, you got to do something. Yeah. Because you can't just, you know, sit around and say, oh, he hid that. Well, we're good. No, it doesn't work like that. By the way, speaking of the Lions and some of these other teams, um, Dan Campbell was hired as the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. Odd that they were the only real candidate for him. Brad Holmes is going to be their GM. He is the Rams scouting guy who evaluated talent. He's the guy who spoke to Les Snead about drafting both Jared Goff and Aaron Donald. Now, there are some picks he didn't hit on, like Sean Mannion. Uh, which came around the time Nick Foles, I believe, was with the Rams. Jared Fisher, or Jeff Fisher, not Jared. Jared Fisher. (laughs) Everybody remember famous head coach Jared Fisher. (laughs) Jared Fisher. Oh, my God. Uh, The uh, other head coach uh, hired is Brandon Staley. He was the Vic Fangio protege who is the defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams. Well, now that the Rams can join Jamal Adams in Cancun, uh, Brandon Staley is going to be heading to Southern California to be with the Chargers. And um, what do you think of these hires? You know, we, we've discussed a bit about the Urban Meyer hiring, and, and we'll get to that in a bit, because there was some hilarious news that came out about a former college coach who was in the pro level, but... You, you have some of these coaches 
Um, B enemy is still available. Looks like Houston will probably be the team that hires someone last. Um, you have a couple really good offensive minded coaches and the chargers kind of went the Denver Broncos route on this. They decided have the best coach available that you could take away from a team. And Staley is the guy that gets to watch over Justin Herbert's process in that charger defense. And you mentioned the Eagles hiring, um, of these hirings of the, of the three hirings, do you think any of them will last more than five years? Well, here's the weird thing about this coaching search. I haven't heard of any of these damn people. Um, you mean you didn't hear about the hirings or you haven't heard about the people? No, I mean, like, usually, you know, who the candidates are. And I haven't really heard much of anything about, about most of these folks. Yeah, I it's... think Dan Campbell came off as the most surprising one outside of what we just learned about the Colts. Uh, but it makes a little bit of sense because Dan Campbell did play as a backup tight end for the Lions at one point. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And he had been working with Brian Flores and Sean Payton, so maybe the Lions saw that as something else to work with. It's the, it's the, um, the organization, not just... Uh, Holmes, who hires Campbell here, but the organization as a whole. So I could kind of see the Dan Campbell route, but Staley, I'm kind of surprised he got bitten at this soon. I heard Dennis Allen was maybe a candidate, and I hated Dennis Allen as the Raiders coach mm -hmm. because he, he was very inexperienced. He was very young, too. But maybe that does something. And I just, um, I, no. Um, Mike, this also brings us up to another point. I said, so this is where I'm going to bring up the college thing. We're going to tie this okay. in. So, um, Jay Glazer, everyone's hilarious favorite guy on Fox, um, said this week in an interview, why Nick Saban actually left the Miami Dolphins middle of the 2006 season. Now we thought it was because the team wasn't winning enough. Um, that, you know, this was one of those, well, I'll just go back to college. Well, it turns out that wasn't the case. It turns out, Mike, that he was kind of, he almost got in a fight with two different players. The first one is Dante Culpepper. It was during either drills or uh, before a game. Dante Culpepper would get hurt during the 2006 season, but he almost threw hands at Nick Saban. But the, but the hilarious one to me has to be that, um, Zach Thomas, the defensive captain for the Dolphins defense during that era, and he was nominated for the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, great linebacker. Uh, yeah, Nick Saban basically told him, you don't know much about defense, do you? And Zach Thomas, if it wasn't for other players in that locker room, we wouldn't have an Alabama dynasty because Zach Thomas probably would have killed him. Nick Saban's neck would have snapped like a twig. So... Uh, this is very interesting considering the tactics Nick Saban used in the NFL weren't as successful or nearly even close to what he used in college. And this ties in with Urban Meyer because he's been hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know that Urban Meyer, um, with a program for usually around four years average, uh, very hard on players. How is that going to bode in the Jacksonville locker room? I have no idea. This this tells me that the we'll Nick, 
that the Urban Meyer hiring could be a disaster. Yeah, you really could. Um, I had actually said Urban Meyer should wait one more year and then head to a team like Cincinnati. Just throwing that out there because he was very popular in Ohio. So probably want to throw that one out there. But no, he goes back down to Florida. <laughs> Although, I mean, then again, it could be he didn't go to Ohio because he was already in Ohio. And because they already knew his shenanigans and he's going to be there for a little bit and then leave. That's true. I guess you could say that. Uh, you brought about the thing about Ted Thompson. Uh, Thompson's legacy. He had actually spent C- six years with the Seahawks as their VP of football operations before being the GM in 05. He is the guy who actually drafted Aaron Rodgers. Really? He was. He also added a few other players, some of which included Clay Matthews. Good GM. Yeah, uh, David Bakhtiari, Mason Crosby, guys along that. Uh, Devontae Adams, I believe he drafted too, so it looks like there are a lot of good players he drafted. It's just sad he had to go at 68. And Philip Rivers retires. Now, we've been, I wrote an article uh, a month back, I want to say, about quarterbacks who should probably retire after the season or probably, not probably, should retire after this season. And Philip Rivers is among that list he is officially retired now um looks like with Dwayne Haskins being assigned maybe it's the boot for Roethlisberger who knows oh Steelers owe him 41 million dollars so there's your answer to that question yeah I mean that is true but I do owe him too much money they, they do, but I wonder if, you know, Ben's time is pretty much out. And, oh, by the way, Drew Brees, with what we found out, possible he retires too. Oh, well, of course. Ben, Ben's time is up as a good QB. Yeah. And that's all I have before we break down the championship games. Um, I wanted to ask you, Mike, the divisional round. Um, anything that you saw, obviously you had the better record. I think you went what two and two or three and one. You went, I went three and one. You went one and three, I think. Uh, let me check. No, I think you went two and two because you had, okay. It looks like you had, oh, cause we both had the Ravens winning and you lost the Bucks pick. Right. So you went two and two. I went one and three. Why did I put one and four? (laughs) (laughs) Minkley's making up games. So he loses, not even so he wins. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, So, yeah, I went one and three. You went two and two. Um, Thoughts on your divisional games? All right, Packers game, totally expected that. Uh, Bills game. I didn't expect that. Thought it'd be a lot more competitive. Browns game, I didn't expect Mahomes to get bonked in the head. I didn't expect the Buccaneers to win because I think the Buccaneers are a joke. But I'm clearly wrong. At least for two weeks. Of the of the divisional teams, you know, that we saw play in, and we made good cases for every team, I think. Um division of the divisional teams that lost, who do you think um has a shot of not going back this far. 
heading into next season? The Rams. Okay. Kind of either the, either the Rams or the Saints. <clears throat> yeah, I'm but probably. I, th- gonna... I think New Orleans has enough pieces, though. I I probably the Rams, to be honest. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. I, I'm actually going to say maybe the Rams and the Browns. Just because, I mean, if the Bucks are playing a real team in the first round, maybe they don't win if Russell Wilson doesn't crap himself the entirety of that game. The Rams probably don't win. Yeah. That that is very true. And I I think with the Rams uh, finding the replacement for Staley is going to be very hard. Um, the Niners, we don't know what we're getting from them. Maybe the Cardinals would be good, but I actually have high expectations for Seattle next year. And it's possible the Rams don't get to go back into the playoffs. I'd say the same thing about the Browns. I think uh, the Browns just getting into the playoffs and winning a game is something they can relish because of how bad they've been in the past couple of decades. Maybe they don't. Maybe maybe it just completely falls apart the next couple of years. Maybe it doesn't, but I don't really see them uh, getting back anytime soon. I think so, the, I think basically Cleveland will get back next year. I think they've turned their corner. Let's see, because if the Steelers aren't good next year, that obviously opens up things for the Browns a little bit better. Right. So we'll see how that goes. Um, of the four teams that are remaining, so it's going to be Packers, Buccaneers, Bills, Chiefs, and I need to tell you this because it is very important. So the referees that we're having the last three games, the championship rounds, I was absolutely correct on. We are having two of the most corrupt officials. Oh, God. That, that would be Clayton Blakeman. He is going to be the official slash uh, gambler for the NFC championship between the Packers and the Buccaneers. gambler. He, he really does gamble. You can't tell me otherwise. And the Bill Vinovich will be the referee for the Chiefs-Bills game. Uh, he is very good with letting defensive pass interference slide. If you're a Rams and Saints fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So <laughs> <laughs> expect both games, both those seems to be very physical on defense. And Carl Sheffer is one of my faves. He, he does a great job. He will be the referee for the upcoming Super Bowl. I believe it's Super Bowl 55. So that is going to be very interesting to watch. I think that's going to be a cleanly officiated game. Mike, of the four teams or these two matchups, let's start with the NFC one here. This is the oldest starting average for a conference championship QB ever. And... I've kind of gone back and forth here. Good cases for the Bucks. Good cases for the Packers. What do you see? No, Green Bay. This line I, should be. This line should be. I think like maybe seven instead of, or maybe six and a half instead of three. Um, and I think Green Bay is the much better and much more complete football team. Okay, so if I threw out there that Vita Vea was coming back for Tampa Bay, that was a big. Uh, game changer matchup. Obviously, he's not going to be, you know, all 100%, but Vita Vea's return kind of boosts the defensive line a bit. Does Vita Vea cover Devontae Adams? Well, when you put it that way, no, he does not. Okay. But he 
was very good at getting interior pressure, which, as you noticed, the Rams were not good at last week. Well, they weren't really very good at anything last week. Um, but no, does does Vita Vea cover Devontae Adams? If the answer is no, then my answer is still the Packers win. Okay, fair enough then. Um, but but let's look at Tampa Bay's offense, okay? Let's let's look at some of the things that they do well, Mike. Um, <laughs> Tom Brady's been used to playing in the cold. Um, Bruce Arians has played in the cold on the road in playoff games. How do how can the Buccaneers pull this off? You know, with Tom Brady at QB, Gronkowski at tight end, guys who have that deep playoff experience. And it's like they know the marbles are on the line. They know that maybe next year uh, with teams like, you know, Seattle playing with more desperation, maybe Green Bay plays with more desperation, maybe a team in the NFC East shows up. Um, If you're the Buccaneers, how can you at least keep this close? Well, I think that the likely scenario as to how you, I don't know about win, but how you keep these games, or this game, I should say, this game within reach, if you're good old Tampa Bay, is what you're going to need to do is use Ronald Jones more than you have to this point. And you are just, sounds kind of weird, but you're just going to have to simply play better. Like you're, you know, it sounds simple and weird, but like you're going to have to play better than you have so far. And you are going to have to play more complete football. You're probably going to have to have Tom Brady play, you know, more of that Patriots style, like Deacon Dunk stuff, because I think the over under for this is 51. Okay. Which is telling. Because that means the odds makers think that this is probably going to be a, a very high-scoring game. Which I also right. agree, it will be a very high-scoring game. But just how high? I personally, uh, the Bills, get, Bills, Chiefs, and Bucks, and Packers, the lines came out on Monday morning. And I took both unders on Monday morning. Because I think the over-unders are too high. These are NFC and AFC championship games. These defenses will be playing incredibly hard knowing what's on the line. And I also think that in particular with the way Tampa's going to have to win, which is slowing it down, and the way that the Bills are going to have to win, which is slowing it down, running the ball, getting a good contribution from the backfield and Singletary, getting Josh Allen to run well. Um, I don't think that either, you know, that either that either uh, overs are going to hit. But still, even though I've taken the under, which does say, because I feel like if you take the under in the Green Bay-Tampa game, that, like, the way for me to hit the under is probably for Tampa to win. Because I don't think... Um, Green Bay, I think Green Bay wins a track meet easier than Tampa does. But then again, Aaron Jones is really good. So maybe 
if Tampa goes slow, Green Bay can go slow too, and they'll just slug out and um, Green Bay will win because of Aaron Jones. I don't know. I think that yeah, I think that the Packers are the better team here, but I think Tampa's case to do this is keep the ball out of the hands of Aaron Rodgers. So I'm actually going to agree with you on this. By the way, for anyone listening, uh, Michael has officially beaten me in picks this year, which was an absolute disaster on my end. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Michael, um, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. So here are a few things that make me want to agree with you. Um, on, one, on one hand, you know, I, I get what you're saying about Tampa Bay needing to play better. But I've noticed the teams really can't expose that run defense anymore, that weak run defense. And I think that may be a problem for Tampa. They do have both Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones who played well um, against New Orleans' run defense. But I think it's clicking at the, for the Packers at the right time. And, and that's, this is when you want to get hot. Um, I think... You know, it kind of bodes well knowing that the, the referee for this game is going to be Clayton Blakeman for them because Uh-oh. he usually favors the uh, much better home team like he has most of the previous other years. So I think that plays a part of it too. But I also think that <clears throat> when we talk about um, the type of QBs that Brady and Rodgers are are very different. They don't take well to insults, and Devin White had to open up his mouth and say how much better it's going to be to get Aaron Rodgers on the ground. And any team who's trash talked this pre this postseason before a game is lost. Pittsburgh, Washington. Pittsburgh did it. Um, the Rams did it. The Rams did it? They would, uh, the football team did it too. Yeah. Washington. Um, um, Taishung. Yeah. Um, I wonder, do I, do any of these teams have a guy named Chase on the roster? Because guys named Chase are only one and two. Chase Daniel, but, uh, Chase Claypool and Chase Young haven't done as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little concerned, um, with that part of, uh, especially, I mean, Brady is a perfectionist. You, you know there's been shade thrown at Bill Belichick casually by Bruce Arians this week. I think this is a game the Green Bay Packers actually look at the game tape and say, okay, we did this, we need to do this. And I think the Packers come out on top. I think the Bucks do make it close. I do think they put up a good number of points. I think they have a lot of things on their side. Um, but ultimately, I am taking Green Bay in this. Uh, an even murkier game, Mike, is this Bills-Chiefs game. Sorry, uh, one more note. I forgot I muted myself, sorry. No, um, I do think that this will be close because I think that first game will play a factor. Because remember, we have. I, I won't be surprised if Tampa wins because, lest we remember, we saw this game already. We saw it in the toward the beginning of the season. And Tampa won by 28. Yeah. But I don't think you could do that to Green Bay twice. So if, I mean, if Tampa wins and go and Brady goes to another Super Bowl, then it's like, okay, I could see that. 
but I couldn't see them outright dominating them like they did in week was it five or six. Just because I, yeah. I, you know, I don't think you can do that more than once to the, to this Packers team. Yeah, and and I kind of considered the fact that they scored thirty eight unanswered to be very strange. I kind of looked at how the it, and it and it flipped on I think on a turnover when the Packers led ten nothing. I don't see that same situation happening again. I do think in order for the Bucks to actually play better, they got to do what the Bears did. You know, they they got to keep Green Bay off the field as much as possible and and hope that Aaron Rodgers makes a mistake. I I feel keeping Vita Vea as healthy as possible during this game is actually going to be a factor. Um, so there, the, you need long drives. Tom Brady's really good at doing that because how long has he been in the league? And he's got the receiving options. He's got way more receiving options than I think any other of the remaining teams have combined. So <laughs> they'll keep it close. But uh, the, the, the MVP of this league this year is Aaron Rodgers, and I think he does enough. And the other game that we have on tap. Yeah, this this to me is a very hard one to predict. Um, Patrick Mahomes practiced for the second consecutive day. That is a good sign. Um, but Mike, I, I really got to ask you, you know, what, what are you looking at in this game? Maybe, maybe uh, as I brought up with Bill Vinovich earlier, the defenses play a little bit harder and dirtier, um, which is something I've criticized Kansas City for, especially in years past, but you know, what what do you see here? What I see here is, you know, a clash of two styles. What I see here is an explosive offense with more kind of, well, a different kind of running the ball, I guess. Because if you look at the if you watch the Chiefs, they do run the ball. And they do lateral stuff that is basically equivalent to running the ball, just different. Um, but the Bills are certainly much more, they do much more traditional running, albeit with the quarterback, but it's two real good offenses. It's two defenses that have been suspect at times, but man, that Bills defense was good. Now, one thing to be good against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Whole nother to be good against Patrick Mahomes. With that being said, I I mean, I do and don't hope the Bills win this game. I think it'd be awesome to see the Bills win and get to the Super Bowl. But I know a guy on the Chiefs, Colin Saunders, so I got to root for the Chiefs here. Um, root and pick, by the way, the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think it's the Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl, and I think it's the two best teams all year. No, I, I actually can understand that. And I think one of one of the big things that puts this into perspective is um, you're not playing Lamar Jackson. You know that even though Lamar Jackson got better in the year, um, throwing on the outside, the Bills are very good at still exploiting his weaknesses. Um, I think the big difference is you have Tyreek Hill, who is a phenomenal receiver. You have Travis Kelsey, one of, if not the best tight end in football, uh, as the physical option. Um, but Buffalo's secondary is going to be an attract run. 
And so here's how I'm going to look at this game, Mike. I'm going to look at this game from two different um, points of view. So the the big thing with Kansas City that I am going to have an issue with is obviously um, their passing game because we don't know what we're expecting from Mahomes yet. Now, he could be rusty for an entire half and then play like he did in the other playoff games like last year. Um, but I find an injured quarterback, if he starts, an injured quarterback is much different than if Chad Henney plays. And I'm not, I, you know, I'm not saying that they have a better shot with Chad Henney because he hadn't taken a snap until Oh, that's right. It was Chad Henney, not Chase Daniel. You know, it, he hadn't taken a snap since 2013 before the past two games. He'd never played in the playoff game, but he, and he found a way to win. But the Cleveland's defense is trash. And, but game prep for this, I know Sean McDermott's going to do a good job on. Uh, it's probably going to be Mahomes, but it's not Mahomes at 100%. And remember, it wasn't just the concussion. It was his ankle, too, which I think is a bigger factor uh, than a lot of people were talking about because that does not make him as mobile. Nope. Meaning that his receivers are going to have to re- really win track races against the secondary and I don't know if that's possible the whole game. Now, the other side of this, I'm going to point out. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't care who you are. If we're in a, if we're in a vertical track meet, I got any two corners in the NFL, and I got Meikle Hardman and Tyree Kill, I'm taking Meikle Hardman and Tyree Kill. And while that's true, I do like the chances of Tredavious White if and we're, what those if safeties we're in, have to offer. If we're in hay, you Fast, one direction, now, go. I'm taking those two. See, and that, and that's pretty good assessment, too. My whole thing, but this is what ties in this for me, is Buffalo was able to stop Baltimore's running game. And it wasn't just Lamar Jackson or anything like that. No, they were able to shut down the whole running game. That's important for me because Kansas City has a lot of good running backs. And you could say, okay, maybe Mahomes doesn't do much this game. He can, he, he'll make the passes what he has to. But I think with how Buffalo shut down the running game, and remember I brought up that Kansas City's offensive line, you know, not, hasn't really played particularly well this year. Uh-huh. I think this is one of the few teams that could expose how lacking. But lest City's you forget, again, like I said, that Kansas City running game is a bit different. Part of their running game is is um, RPO flickouts to Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Tyreek Hill. They right. have their running game is incredibly wide. They don't go because part of the Raven problem was the read option stuff up the middle or whatever. They had no Mark Ingram, and Mark Ingram is kind of Lamar Jackson's the big big piece, but you need Mark Ingram to work for that to meddle. Uh, matter and so that Lamar Jackson can do the off the tackle stuff and you know the outside of the offensive line or through the guard whatever Kansas City may see a lair run a stretch play but they also may see a lair just swing out of the backfield on what looks to be an Anthony I think Anthony Sherman so their fullback on what Mahomes may fake is an Anthony Sherman run then you have the swing out to Clyde Edwards a lair then we're talking about, we're not talking about the Buffalo Bills from four anymore. We're talking about what is their outside linebacker and what is their safeties and corners do. So 
the Chiefs are a much different offense. And this is why I'm not a DC. I don't get how you beat the Chiefs offense. I don't. I don't get it. You actually do have, I think with, with how you have McDermott and his defensive staff putting this together, I do feel like, you know, there are a little bit safer options than Cleveland had. And Cleveland had the better defensive front, which is hilarious to me. Because I would have looked at this um, a week ago, not, not knowing that, knowing that or expecting Mahomes to be healthy, I would have expected Cleveland to have the advantage more than Buffalo did. But uh-huh. I think because we don't know how Mahomes' ankle is, um, is he, how is he going to do in concussion protocol, if they start him, he won't be 100%. It's going to be very interesting to see how he plays both, um, I want to say, in the middle of the game. But um, you're right, because it's two different styles of running games. And this is why I kind of, I have to take some of this into account, like J.K. Dobbins was pretty good too. Um, Baltimore's running game obviously is going to be different, but I think the preparation for this, you know, they can say, okay, we know what the read option is. Yep. They just have to adjust things a little bit more. And they know, you know, with that game tape, I think, with earlier in the year, right? This was before the Bills really got going. You know, the, what we saw in that first matchup could be the worst-case scenario for the Bills. But we also know that the Bills didn't play at the true potential they wanted to the last time. They get a second chance, and they kind of know what they what to see from Kansas City. So maybe it is something which, you know, bodes better to how they play this time, especially a little bit more physically. And I, I, I respect what you say about Kansas City. I think this is why, for me, it's been really hard to choose. I'm actually going to go with Buffalo on this one. Really? Yeah, I'm going to go with Buffalo on this one. And it actually it has to do with what I've been saying about the running game. And Mahomes probably starts but won't be at 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know what I really appreciate? You know, you brought up uh, – Colin Saunders and everything. Uh-huh. Um, Buffalo's offensive line is very underrated. They give Josh Allen a lot of time to throw that around. And they don't have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary is okay. But try and find, me for me, with, with Buffalo's receiving core right now, uh, Cole Beasley, one of the best slot receivers in the league, John Brown's fully back and healthy. You got Stephon Diggs, obviously. How the hell is Kansas City going to stop this offense? I have no idea. And that's why I think this is going to be a really fun and exciting game. uh, Or wait a minute. Wait. wait. You said, how are the Bills going to stop the Kansas City offense? Did you say that? No, I said, how how are the Chiefs going to stop the Bills offense? Oh, how the Chiefs? Okay. Well, wait a minute. That's... That's the thing, is I have a plan for that. So, with the Chiefs stopping, or, yeah, I'm saying that right now. With the Chiefs stopping the Bills, here's what makes me think. What made the Bills tick in that Baltimore game? Stephon Diggs. Now, if you're Kansas City, you do have Tyron Matthews. Who is more of a box safety, but can be? He could be physical receiver. I think 
Tyron Matthew is going to be around Stephon Diggs a lot of this game, like in, in obvious passing situations. He is probably going to be the help over the top against Stephon Diggs. So I think the Chiefs have, could can uh, neutralize Stephon Diggs better than Baltimore can. See, and that's a little strange, too, because Baltimore has really good corners. Yes, but they don't have great secondary. That's true with the safeties. Um, or, uh, safeties, I didn't mean to say secondary. Safeties. And Stephon Diggs is very good at one-on-one. And also, you got to think, like, uh, um, look at the Bills. Is, is there anything else that you're like... I'm scared. Other than other than Diggs, you know, and and this is where it gets to a very interesting conversation because a lot of teams has followed this mindset of okay, Diggs is obviously the best player, like the biggest playmaker on this field. Mm-hmm. But the problem that a lot of teams have made, and I've seen this with the Dolphins, I've seen this with at least a couple other... uh, Pittsburgh, I think, was the other one, too. And so if you take Stefan Diggs away, like you you have him covered, this is why it's important for John Brown to be back from fully healthy. Because John Brown is a great number two or number three threat. Mm -hmm. And Gabriel Davis has actually been an impact player. He reminds me in some ways like how Michael Gallup is with Dallas. He makes those critical sideline catches. He knows when to get his feet down and he can get very far down the field. And Oh, by the way, then you have Cole Beasley who's rated as the best slot receiver in football. Now, Tyler Croft and Dawson Knox, they're two tight ends. They don't really like to me, they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. but remember that Josh Allen has been able to use them well because of how he can bait behind the line of scrimmage with pass rushers. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at this offense as, okay, Stefan Diggs is the main playmaker um, who can catch the ball. But all these other guys, they're important because if you dedicate two guys to Stefan Diggs, someone will be open. And Allen has been reading the field much better this way with Brian Dabble as O.C., and I think anyone has um, given him credit for the second half of the season. So I view it as, can Kansas City cover anyone one-on-one? And what you say about Tyron Matthew, I think could be a, a weakness for Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Because he could get baited into something else. We're starting to see Josh Allen can read safeties now. And if he baits Tyron Matthews to the wrong guy, and he gets digs open one-on-one, then I think that actually plays to the Bills' favor more than it does Kansas City's. I think I think the Chiefs' Bills is the better game. I will say that. Yeah, it, it, which is funny because both the fans are like, football. "Oh man, like who are you going to choose for some of these at times?" But yeah, by far and away, the Bills' Chiefs should be the better game. I think. I, I think so, too. And I like how this is going to be the last game on Sunday. They, they put the Packers-Bucks first. Um, hopefully, these will be both very close and very fun games. Mm-hmm. I kind of see, um, for both games, whoever gets the more stops defensively, especially in the second half, are going to win the games. But, but these are going to be really fun considering 
the Bills and the Chiefs both have 13 wins or more. <laughs> like, which is again, which is why it's going to be an uh, awesome football game. How well coached, though, is are all four of these teams, like discipline wise and and depth. Mm-hmm. It's like you know we've been trying to go over like small things, not just with the big players, but like the small guys too, like the tight ends that you don't know about. It's like, well, anyone could do anything in either of these games. Yeah, the uh, you got Sean McDermott who's going to hell of a job with the Bills, Andy Reid. He got a lot of crap for choking, but I still think he was always a really good coach. Um, yeah, it's always been the timeout management and end of Yeah, it's always been the clock problem, but other than that, Andy Reid has been a good coach. Um, I think your worst coach team is Tampa Bay. Because Matt LaFleur ain't done a damn thing to tell me that he's a bad coach. No, not yet. I do think some of it's the Aaron Rodgers effect, but I do agree with you. Oh, well, well, yes. I mean, Aaron Rodgers being one of the best <laughs> players in the world is going to help. <laughs> he also won. He's also the MVP for this year. Well, I can't say that because Pat Mahomes quietly had a great year. Um, He did, but let's just say this. Aaron Rodgers threw 48 touchdowns at the age of 37. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Let's also go, you know, last year it was Jameis went 30 for 30. But this year, (laughs) Tom Brady went 40 for 40. You know, he's 43 years old, and he threw 40 touchdowns. (laughs) So Yeah, but the problem is Jameis wasn't 30 for 30 like that. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's that's the funny part. If you if you throw probably at least a dozen less interceptions, this team has shown they can get to at least the second round of the playoffs. Well, yeah, if you have a dozen less interceptions, Brady's not your quarterback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So Mike um brings up something else with quarterback, and I know where we pick the games already, but I think this is a very important issue. The the Deshaun Watson thing is growing by the day, yep. and. The, this is the funny thing I find with this is Mike Florio has still said that these are rumors. You know, this isn't like the actual truth. It's just rumors that have ballooned so high. And we know that Eric Bieniemy finally got the interview, but we know at this point that Deshaun Watson is not happy. We're guessing at this point, not happy with how the organization is going. And I mentioned this with um, Wesley Woods, who I recorded with last week. You have at least, I, I know you got 27 teams out there, um, but let's be honest, Tampa and Green Bay, Kansas City and Buffalo are not going to be among the teams looking for a quarterback in the future. And if he's not going to stick in Houston, that leaves it at 27. So my question to you is, um, he liked some posts about the Jets. Now the Jets may look like instead of drafting a QB, they get Deshaun Watson in the in in the offseason. How what are the number of teams that realistically have a shot with him? Just right off the bat. I mean, the number's 27, but let's be honest here. Some teams don't have the cap space, some teams are fine with the quarterbacks that they have currently. Um how many teams realistically have a shot? Hmm. 
See, I keep hearing the Bears, but I don't know why the hell he would do that. Well, the Bears don't have trade room to me. They don't have the cap space or the room. But no, but I mean, like, you... But he just... He finished with one clown show. Why the hell is he going to another? Yeah, that's true. Um... You don't, I don't, I don't think he wants to go to Detroit. Do you? I think it depends on what they do with Stafford, but the more. Well, they, this the, would, of course, assume Stafford is gone. Um, if, if Stafford goes, then I think it depends on what Brad Holmes wants. Because for me, um, I don't know how attuned into the draft Holmes is at this point, but I have to assume he is. Do the Rams was, all in for a Super Bowl? No, they paid Jared Goff. Oh, that's, oh okay. Uh, well, it I can't actually, be Philly because Carson Wentz's contract is too big. It can't be Pittsburgh unless Big Ben retires. No, but you told me even if Ben retires, they still got 41 mil. Oh, uh, wait. Well, I don't know if that's if he retires or not. I th- No, I think that's if he, if he plays. Like, I'm saying he won't retire because 41 mil. Um, would you retire from football over for like instead of getting paid forty one million dollars? Because I'd like forty one million dollars. Who won? <laughs> I I love forty one million dollars. No, that that's the absolute truth. But I I I think the Steelers actually a good option. Um, if they can trade some of their key pieces away. I think that would be the trade-off. I don't see the Chargers, Dallas, like you said, Philly, uh, Minnesota. With Jameis, uh, New New Orleans is actually on the list, and I think it depends again on who New Orleans would want to give up um, if they want to roll with Jameis. Um, or if they, you know, Ooh, I got it. The option was Stafford earlier on. What's up? Indy. I've been thinking about Indy. I think Indy is Indy. Indy need quarterback. Indy can't draft quarterback. Indy has good coach and good defense. Neither thing that Deshaun Watson had the first time. Correct. Indy. Yeah, I'm going to throw Indy out there as a as an actual logistical and practical team that would want them. I um, so so some of the teams I've uh, seen, I don't think Minnesota's getting him because again, Kirk Cousins, that's all guaranteed money, um, <laughs> and I just don't see how the Vikings are able to add one cash heap on for another. For right now, I I just I don't know. Um, Mike, here are some practical ones. You got Washington, um, which could be a, a really practical one considering that they're still on the rebuild. They would have a lot of draft picks. You got Denver, um, if they're not sold on Drew Locke, and I don't think they truly are. Here's one. How about Arizona? No. They like Kyler Murray. No way. 
Well, and, and this is something that you could say. You, have, you already have DeAndre Hopkins. You would be okay mortgaging off Kyler Murray's future for Deshaun Watson's present. No. No, I, uh, no, I still think that you still think you keep Kyler Murray. Okay. Um so I think you're fine. I don't I don't think that you need to trade more assets because I think you're gonna be okay. So why give up the assets when you could just build it around Kyler? Um Although Kyler Murray turns out to be no damn good, you know, like other than just like an up and down year. If he turns out to be down his whole career, then yeah, that'd look pretty bad. Oh, I'm still trying to think of other teams. Is it New Orleans? Is it Indy? There's New England. It's not really a Belichick thing to do. I think the only thing that... And let's be honest, is that the right thing right now? For them? I mean, but they do need offensive help overall. Yes, they need get everything. No, defense, not as much. I feel like... O- offense, good. offense. Um, offense right now, obviously, is the, is the big concern. You need receivers that aren't named Julian Edelman. You need a quarterback. You need a receiver. You need running back. You need auto line. You need everything right now. Well, the running backs aren't bad. Well, they are. They are. They're. You know, they're not great either. I don't think that Deshaun Watson is the good move there. I'm literally trying to go up and down the divisions. Um, you, you I do have. Saw, Sam. I saw the trade Tua to Houston thing, which I like. I like that Miami too. because I don't like Alabama quarterbacks because the last one to not suck ass was, <laughs> you know. Ken Stabler. Yes. And he's how, dead. How long ago did Ken Stabler play? Oh, about 60 years. <laughs> Bama's been producing first-round quarterbacks for like 80 years and had one good one. Or two good ones back-to-back. Talk about a scam. So, yeah, I don't really trust Tua. Coming from Nick Saban. You realize Tua had the best receiving core of all time and could barely win one championship. Oh my god. Yeah, have you gone back and look at who his receiving core was? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no way you should barely win just one championship. I think the, the Miami to Houston trade is my favorite by far and away. But I, I'm not going to lie. I'm liking this one with the Jets, too. I think this is actually one you could say the Jets have enough assets to give up that wouldn't be truly affected losing all of them. And you got Robert Salah as coach. Um, I kind of like how the defense has been shaped. The offensive line is in good shape. What you really need are a few more receivers. But as I wrote about uh, one of the winners and losers a few months ago, they just need more development. Since we're and we're gonna wrap this up here in the next like five minutes. Um, if if we're gonna look at receivers, I wanna I wanna read you this receiving core. For which team? The Tua. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta read this. All right. Um, 
in his junior year, this was his final year in Tuscaloosa. His final year at Bama. Tua Tonga-Vailoa had Jerry Judy, first-round pick, Henry Ruggs, first-round pick, Devonta Smith, Heisman winner, and Jalen Waddell, probably mid-round pick. Yeah, that's the worst the guy. The worst guy cut 28 balls in six games and will probably like go in the second round. And led the SEC in yards per reception this year. And uh, in 19, he he led the NCAA in punt return yards and had a punt return tutty and a kickoff return tutty. So he's at least going to get picked in the middle of the rounds as a really fast special teamer. Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. <laughs> no, you know what else is insane? So I saw the, I saw this stat. Did I did I tell you about the running backs that they had in 2013 at one point? Uh what um who Derrick Henry, god darn it. Yeah, who was it? I saw that. So the they had a four-headed running back monster and all were drafted in the NFL. It was Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, TJ Yeldon, and Kenyon Drake. <laughs> Utterly ridiculous. That is that is absolutely that should Alvin Kamara and Derrick Henry were on the same team. Well, it's no wonder they didn't they win back to backs around that yes. time. Yes. <laughs> but Derrick like, Henry got drafted. Like all these guys were drafted, and the hilarious part is the Bears missed out on Alvin Kamara. I'm sorry, right. that that can't ever be overlooked. Well, no, I'm pretty uh, sure they won two titles with um, um, Derrick Henry. That's why he got drafted so high. Because he was a unanimous All-American and Heisman Trophy winner. Okay, he won one title at Bama in the 15. Do you realize, like, we have witnessed in our, like, this is one of the few times in NFL history we're seeing two unstoppable athletes right now. We're seeing DK Metcalf and Derrick Henry at the same time kill people and kill defenses. Well, except for except for Baltimore's defense. Yeah, apparently Derrick Henry couldn't do anything. And I, I actually put that on Arthur Smith. Uh, as some bet, I do put the, the false starts and the penalties at various points in the game on that too. But what the hell? <laughs> Derrick Henry's a small building. He is. Like, the dude's got as much power in his legs as a Volkswagen Beetle. Like, the guy could probably power a real car. And then DK Metcalf, look, I mean, again, I go back to the Buda Baker thing. And I don't want to make his whole career out of the Buda Baker thing because, I mean, he's been good for reasons other than that. Buda Bigger ran like a 4-3-5-40 and wasn't pulling up out of his sprint to celebrate. Exactly. Like, that's like football's fastest safety flying down the field that DK goes, no, nah, come here, bitch, you're mine. 
And DK's like mm. basically stopped when he starts his sprint and Buddha has a 10 yard head start. I I feel to me like if if DK had caught Buddha Baker in the end zone after Buddha had scored, I would have been like, holy shit, look at how fast DK is. Because, like, man made up a 10-yard head start in 100 yards against, like, a 4-3-40 safety. But, now, of course, the 4-3-40 is without a ball in your hand, but not only did he do that, he caught him before the end zone on, like, the 20. Jeez. And he also ran at, like, 20 miles an hour or whatever it was. Do you consider that to be the player of the year? Yes. And I, people are like, oh, it's overblown. No, I don't fucking understand how one human being catches up to another human being in, in that much, in that little time, especially when both those human beings are football players. Both those human beings are very fast. Like, I, can, I consider both to be all pro. That's the thing. The, like, Buda Baker's all pro. The math for running down Buda Baker on a pick six don't work. <laughs> that math doesn't, that no, that no. That I'm 10 yards down on Buda Baker and standing still when he picks the ball off in dead sprint. Well, I'm kind of fucked. That's not really how math works. And DK's like, nah, fuck your math. <laughs> fuck gravity. I, this it. was one of the few times, so um, this brings up, you know, memories from like the last dance where when they they talked about charles barkley's all mvp year in 93 mm-hmm. and he says it like when he played michael it's like this was the first time i ever thought damn someone's actually better than me yeah and you have to say like for buddha baker because like of how well he's played throughout the past couple of years like he really had to sit back and say, damn, someone's actually better than me. Well, and, and with Buddha, like, Buddha even was on Twitter like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that, that's the other funny thing, too, is afterwards, Buddha was like, what the hell? How did you get me? <laughs> because I remember that afterwards, because dude, I don't know it was on sidelines, I think it was after the game. He was like, dude, what, how, how? Like, he retweeted a gif, and he's like, how? Like, Buda Baker catches the ball, two-yard line, dead sprint. A guy can run a 4-3-40, and DK Metcalf, on an angle, has to run farther and longer than him, was stopped. And, like, he caught him at the 20 and tackled him And because Buda was... Here's the other thing, too. Buda was going so fast, DK Metcalf started tackling his ass at the 15, and he made it to the 6. Because Buddha and DK were running so fast. Like, he literally got thrown an extra 10 yards because of how fast the two guys were running. <laughs> it's absolutely stupid. But yeah, so enough gushing about DK Metcalf and how the ever loving hell he ran him down. And I will put a bow on this episode of The Fixins instead. 
By the way, uh, quick news. Raheem Morris has been hired as the new D.C. for the Rams, and the Jets have hired Jeff Ulbrich to be their defensive coordinator. So, oh, oh, I have a Bears note. Yes. Don't fucking hire Mike Singletary. Please. I've no. been hearing about... <laughs> Me too. No. Say, <laughs> so, hey, what happens, you know, because Chuck Pagano's big thing, as I mentioned in the last podcast, was he likes to bull rush. And you can tell this defense has gotten lazy. How much of a 180 would it be to have Mike Singletary on Khalil Mack's ass all the time? you're going to have Samurai Mike take off his pants. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping that Sa- that Mike Singletary never hears this podcast because, yes, we have mentioned that he dropped his pants. <laughs> Boys, we are, we are getting our butts whipped against the Packers. Drops pants. <laughs> <laughs> Those pants would be off in the tunnel if they were playing the Packers and were losing. <laughs> Like he drops his pants in front of Eddie Jackson while he's still while they're still on the field. <laughs> Throws the belt buckle to Keem Hicks. Like, doesn't tackle a guy and, and Mike Singletary drops his pants. He just walks over to the sideline and Singletary's got his way out, waving it at him. <laughs> but no, no, stop. I mean. You already made me hate you for your postseason press conference. You already made me hate you because he kept Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Oh, for the love of God, please do not hire Mike Singletary. You know what Mike Singletary's last coaching job was? What? Trinity High School in Texas. You know what their record was in the two years Mike Singletary was there? Uh, not good. One in 21. Oh, God. That's all. I'm not lying. We'll look it up. Oh, jeez. He couldn't take a goddamn Texas high school team to a. He took them to one win in 22 games. Not to mention the whole not being able to coach the Niners and taking off his pants. (laughs) Weirdo. But hey, lest we forget, the week after he dropped his pants, he was on Hampton Holmes and didn't even deny it. He admitted it. Did you hear the thing about uh, <laughs> uh, about Waddle and Sylvie? They were having an interview with him around that time, and Mark Silverman dropped out of nowhere, like literally did a Randy Orton RKO. Mm-hmm. So um, what was the thing about you dropping your pants? And Tom Waddle was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so he was like, I'm getting out of this. So like, when they did the 85 Bears reunion, like the 30-year reunion, uh-huh. you know, Waddle was having a great time, and Singletary <laughs> just walked up to him at one point and said, by the way, I never appreciated that question. <laughs> and he felt like shit the whole day. <laughs> I was like, this is hilarious. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... I still can't believe the drop the pants thing is not only real, but that he he admitted to it. (laughs) Oh, God. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why? (sighs) 
He thought that would inspire. How does it help you? Imagine like the face Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman had. Well, the best linebacker in the NFL. My coach just took his pants off. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Probably the best inside linebacker we've seen since Ray Lewis. Like besides Ray. Hey, Lewis. hey, hey! Do you think do you think he'd take his pants off when Javon Wims punched a corner in the face for no punches a corner in the face for no reason? Him and Alshon Jeffrey. Oh. <laughs> he he just violently rips them off. Hey, that's a that's another player that you you know we're talking about overrated with Damian Lillard earlier. That's another guy I never understood <laughs> why the hell anybody said he was any damn good was Ashlon. Ashlon? Yeah. Ashlon Jeffrey. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh my God! Ashlon Jeffries, second round pick out of Auburn. <laughs> he's so good, you know. He's really good, and he's got a ninety-five rating in in Madden. And every the community thinks he's good. It's like, well, then why the hell does every pass go through his fingers? How about catching a football at six foot six, asshole? <laughs> why are like they laughing on Monday night about the guy most likely to be late to practice? Oh yeah, and then you have the whole like Monday Night Football like every like um, what's his name the Monday Night Football color guy being an ass clown thing. <laughs> oh hey, we said Player of the Year. There is Player of the Year the DK thing, or is it da- is it poor Daniel Jones falling on his face? Oh man. I feel so bad for Daniel Jones on that play. Oh, 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 I got one. What? The Raiders defense against Ryan Fitzpatrick. The face mask? The face mask. See, I don't know. I is What's more cool? Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing the ball completely blind, about 50 yards, dotting a guy perfectly on the sideline? Or DK Metcalf running down one of the fastest guys in football with a ten yard head start and he's standing still and the guy the one of the fa- the fast dude is in a dead sprint, but the fastest guy is stopped. I'm gonna say the latter because Fitzpatrick actually said in the post game interview, if his face mask was not grabbed, he probably would have overthrown that ball. Um, so I think the biggest L has to go to the Raiders pass rush. For like the biggest play of their season, they just absolutely tried killing a thirty-eight-year-old. How about um, uh, how about team of the year being the Falcons because they would have won about twelve games if they uh, won it won every fourth quarter lead they had. It's either them or the Chargers because the Fal- the Falcons blew like six fourth quarter leads. I I couldn't believe like some of these games they lost, like that first game against Tampa. Or, or what was it when um so there was a game when like the twenty eight to three thing was evoked. Yeah. <laughs> and it seemed like they just lost everything by like double digit leads in the first half of the year. Oh man. All right. Well, I think that's it for this podcast. Minkley, do your plugs. 
So I am recording with Wesley Woods tomorrow. I we don't know the name of the podcast yet. We're gonna get on that. <laughs> We're just starting. Um, I'll have more information coming out. Obviously, I manage the Sports Fixings Facebook page. There's a lot of content I've been putting up the past few weeks, Michael, so we're getting more traffic. A lot of people are seeing more of our content. And congratulations to us. We have officially hit 100 likes. Yay. So we're in the right direction. And I write at jdsportscorner.wordpress.com. That's how I still uh, word it because I don't know if it's still like that or not. There will be two pieces up today, one on the NFC Championship game, the other on one of the hockey divisions that I have yet to get up. And there should be on the AFC Championship preview for tomorrow as well. So that is what we have. Mike, what about you? What plugs do you have? My plugs, No Marks Love Podcast, going to be a new one up to, or a new two, I say, I think, up today. Uh, and I also have the Pro Baseball Experience. I encourage you all to go check it out. Google <clears throat> Google Pro Baseball Experience. As I mentioned before, I'm the co-GM of a minor league st- uh, of a minors team, so you would be able to hang out with me, <clears throat> and I could help you start finding your way in the league, which would be cool. And I'm happy to help really anybody get started in the PBE. So I would encourage you all to go do that. And I think that's it. All right. All right. So with the plugs and stuff out of the way, I will say, everybody, have a good morning, have a good afternoon, have a good evening, and have a good night. Bye-bye, everybody. Wear a goddamn motherfucking mask. That, too.